This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast that, as I'm sure you know, tries to look at all aspects of our national team. And that is certainly something we're going to try and do in this episode as we take a look back on the Lionesses' recent World Cup qualifiers with Rich Laverty and also we'll catch up again with Stuart Langworthy from the England walking football team. Firstly, though, I just want to say thanks for the support and kind words for the recent episodes. We had a couple, one where I spoke with Chris Evans, author of the biography of Don Revy, and also the episode where I delved into the history of the debut England goal scorers. Both are still available at your chosen podcast platform. As always, just search Three Lions Podcast. Uh, and the same of which applies if you are searching on social media. And speaking of which, you may have seen a post I put out recently, uh, kind of following up on that episode with Don Revy. The manager that followed him was Ron Greenwood. And I'm currently putting in the hard yards for that next episode about England managers. That'll hopefully be with you soon, possibly early next year. I've got to finish the book first. So make sure you stay subscribed, you won't miss it. And also over on social media, we are well into the England Advent calendar. It is, as always, just a little bit of fun. This year, we're reliving, in no particular order, some of those iconic moments from 2021. And also, it's that time of year when the likes of Spotify reveal what you have been listening to over the year. And I've been taken aback by how many people have sent me screenshots of where the podcast is within their listening lists or their listening habits. It's fascinating to see. And to be honest, I'm quite taken aback by it. Thoroughly amazed that this this podcast makes it so highly into your ears. Um, Thank you is all I can really say. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll try and continue to do it as long as you continue to listen to it. So, uh, yeah, thank you once again. Now, let's start this episode off with Rich Laverty. It's always good to invite Rich onto the show. Let's kickstart this episode by looking at the Lionesses who have been in action with their their last international break of the year. Rich, you all right? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thank you. Yes, all very well. Thank you. Welcome back. Two games for the Lionesses over this last international break. There was Austria at home. Well, both of them at home. Austria at Sunderland and Latvia at Doncaster. I mean, obviously, everyone probably is aware of the Latvia game, but let's let's start at Austria. And I've got to hold my hands up. It was a game I, I only saw the, the highlights of because this game collided with with Arsenal-Newcastle, I think that's what I was watching on the telly at the time. But I saw the highlights, uh, 1-0 win. And given all the recent results that England and the Lionesses have had, this has probably been their, well, definitely been their, their toughest test, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was always going to be. You know, Austria are actually quite a decent side. They've got some good players. Uh, got Manuel Zinsberger in goal. Obviously, the Arsenal number one. They've got Nicole Beer up front, who's a, a fantastic striker playing in Germany for Hoffenheim. And then they've got some very good players in between as well. So, you know, obviously, they've qualified for the Euros next year. It's going to be the opening game. England-Austria next year at Old Trafford. So, yeah, it was always going to be tough. I mean, I think England played well. They were pretty dominant, a little bit wasteful. Probably could have pulled the trigger a little bit more in front of goal. Always seemed to be looking for... The extra pass, and you know, when it's 1-0, you can always get punished. Mary Earps had to make a couple of, of very good saves in the second half. But, you know, they needed that because, I mean, 
you know, the other games, obviously Tuesday night, but even before that, you know, have been walkovers. And I think England have scored 50 odd goals now in like five qualifying games, which is probably tells its own story of, of what they're up against at the moment. Um, so they needed a test, you know, obviously it's a pretty unique situation. I think I probably said this last time that, you know, you usually wouldn't be playing these games, you know, building up to a major tournament because there's the gap, you know, you have a tournament, then you qualify for the next one. But obviously with the close schedule now, they're having to qualify for 2023 whilst preparing for 2022 because they're only a year apart. So, you know, ordinarily you'd want to be playing stronger sides, but it's the same for everybody, you know, Spain, Germany, France, you know, they're all playing sort of weaker teams at the moment and they'll all get into their tournaments, their friendly tournaments early next year. But it's just what you've got to do. You've just got to go through them, haven't you? Get the yeah. results and, yeah. and come out the other side because it's not, you know, anywhere near representative of what they're going to play at the Euros next year, bar Austria. So, yeah, you know, they've done a professional job so far. They've done what they've had to do. But, yeah, they, they need, they're going to need some sterner tests and, and they're going to get that, you know, in their next games early next year when they play Spain, Germany and, and Canada. That's right, yeah, which is, uh, we'll get onto that in in a moment because that's a little tournament that's been spread around the country. Uh, but that Austria game, Ellen White, 100th cap, um, and, and she scored the goal there. Mary Earps as well, you mentioned her. I mean, can we see Mary Earps now being the number one keeper? It seems like Serena Weidman is is more than happy to, to persist with Mary Earps. Possibly, and, you know, sometimes... Things just fall into your lap a little bit. And I'm not saying she hasn't earned it, but obviously earlier this year, you know, Ellie Roebuck was kind of probably the undisputed number one. And, and Mary Earps really wasn't even getting in the squad. You know, Sandy McKeever was in there. Hannah Hampton had been in there. Carly Telford was still getting called up. And Earps wasn't really getting in the squad. And obviously since Roebuck got injured, you know, she's not played since um, the Olympics in the summer. You know, Earps has kind of, taken that role on you know she's played well for Man United it's hard bar obviously that game to judge her because I don't think she's barely had a touch in some of the other games but against Austria she did well she made a couple of good saves and that's all you can really ask of of your goalkeeper so it'll be interesting to see when Robot comes back what the situation is because I think many still view her as the future number one you know because of her age and you know she's she's an incredibly talented goalkeeper for her age but you know, you have to earn it. I'm sure she'll go back into the squad, but you have to earn your spot in the team. And if she plays well for Man City, then, you know, Serena will have a decision to make. But yeah, right now, you know, I, I think Mary deserves those games in February. Um, I mean, if, if Robux back by then, you know, they might rotate and they'll, they'll probably see how each of them does. But, you know, we need to see Earps now, I think for a sustained period in, in some of the bigger games where you're going to be, a bit more under pressure, but she's done well, you know, and, you know, when you get that chance, sometimes it takes a while when you're a goalkeeper because it's the one place, you know, if you're not playing, you're not going to come on as a sub. So, you know, she's taken that chance well. She's done well so far. So, you know, she's got every chance now, I think, of staying there. Well, I mean, moving on to to the next game, which obviously everyone is is fully aware of. It was, well, the Lioness is 20 Latvia nil. Uh, Mary Epps actually, when she did touch the ball there, she was given quite a cheer by the uh, by the Doncaster crowd. Were you there at that game? Well, funny story. I was meant to be. So me and, and one or two colleagues, we'd gone down to St George's Park earlier in the day because the under twenty threes were playing. And Who incidentally, had a big score as well, didn't they? Yeah, they won. I think it was eleven nil. So and we were sort of joking on the way back, like we might be the only people in history to see England score double figures in two separate games <laughs> on the same day. The traffic was horrendous. Is what so there was a few people ahead of us that were that were a bit nearer um, getting into Doncaster. Said it was absolutely horrific, and we were in the car sort of, and the, the ETA just kept going up. And, and to be honest with you, by this point, I wasn't that bothered because I thought it's not going to be an exciting game. I knew yeah. it was just going to be what well, I didn't think it was going to be twenty, but you know, I, I was pretty sure it was going to be double figures. And we'd had a long day, like it had been freezing cold at SGP, and we were just sat in traffic and. The ETA just kept going up, you know, and it went past kickoff and it went to about 20 past seven at one point and we just decided. So we actually went to a little local, like little pub nearby, got some nice food, sat by sat by the fire and, and they put it on the big TV for us. So we just watched it in uh, in a pub around the corner. It was just, if we'd have gone in, we'd have missed about the first seven goals because I don't think we would have been there till about 30 minutes in and I think it was seven, eight nil by then. So 
I wasn't actually there in the end, but I did no. see the game. Well, I mean, you weren't alone in missing the uh, the first... I missed the first six goals for a combination of putting my daughter to bed and putting my dinner on. Now, every time I stuck my head around the corner, they'd scored another one. Oh, we've we've had this conversation previously before. There was the two 10-0 results. There was the 9-0 um, against Luxembourg, Latvia, North Macedonia. Um, and, and I think two of those are still to come next year in, in the qualifying campaign. I think it's easy to knock Latvia and these these smaller teams. But I think in, in their defence, they had, I think, six debutants, Latvia, um, and the goalkeeper from the first game wasn't even part of, of this game, uh, was she? No, and that's one of the issues, you know, the article that I wrote um, a few weeks ago before the, this latest group was, was one of the things that came up really that probably we here in England and, and probably many of the other sort of established European nations now don't take into account that a lot of these countries still have part-time domestic leagues, semi-professional domestic leagues. And, you know, that means the players are part-time, you know, and that transfers over to the national team. So when you're asking players to travel abroad, you know, three, four hour flights away to England and to Northern Ireland and wherever, it's not feasible for a lot of people. So, not only are you up against it anyway, because you are so much weaker than the team you're playing, your women's football in that country is so much less developed. You actually go in there, like you say, with a weaker squad. You know, England are putting out, you know, their first team. It was a very, very strong lineup from Serena Wiegmann on Tuesday. And like you say, Latvia had several debutants. They had an 18-year-old in goal. And what chance have you got, you know? It's a weird one because we can say it's not good for the game and it's probably not, but it's going to happen. It's going to be part of the growing pains while these countries develop, you know, and I hope they do. It will probably be slower than the major nations, but we need them to because I think the top nations will only keep getting stronger. And if the others don't, then you're going to see more 10, 11, 12 nils. You know, hopefully we don't see too many 20 nils. I'm hoping that was a bit of a one-off in terms of Latvia's situation on the night. But yeah, I mean, it's not great. You don't want to see it. No, I don't think anyone enjoys it. I mean, maybe fan, you know, younger fans, kids at the game probably thought it was great, you know, who don't understandably really understand the, you know, the the ins and outs of women's football and, and what those results actually mean for the wider game. You know, I'm sure the kids there absolutely love seeing England score every few minutes and I've got no issue, you know, with that. But for those of us that cover the game and and sort of talk about its progression and, and its development, you know, I don't think we want to see, you know, 20 nils. We don't even want to see 10 nils, never mind 20 nils. So, you know, we have to help these countries can develop. They need a bit of help. You know, that was one thing that was evident talking to some of the coaches, including Latvia's coach was, you know, yeah, they're trying to develop, but they need a bit of help from within. They need a bit of help from UEFA and hopefully we can give them it because, and it's always going to happen. You know, we were saying this off air before, you know, that there will always be a gap. You see it in the men's game now, you know, there's still 10 nils, 11 nils in qualifying and the men's game is light years ahead of the women um, in terms of development um, around the world. And, and that sport, you know, there's always a gap, whether it's football, whether it's tennis, cricket, Formula One, dart, snooker, whatever. There's always players and teams that are the best and there's always players and teams that are the worst. And that's just sport, you know, that's, that's how it is. So it's a difficult one. I don't think there's any easy answer, but yeah, it, it's it's not enjoyable to watch. You know, It's like watching a training session where you're just constantly shooting at your goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, or someone who perhaps didn't mind it would be well all, all four hat-trick players but but Ellen White obviously we've got to just quickly mention Ellen White became England's uh, the Lionesses all-time leading goal scorer ahead of Kelly Smith um, with what is it 48 goals now for Ellen yeah I mean you know it's a great achievement um, I think She's had a little bit of stick this year, really. I mean, it's a weird. She she can be frustrating, you know. She, she's offside a lot, and she. But you know what? She she's a proper number nine. You know, she's strong. She's physical. She gets ahead on things. She gets tap ins, and you know, even the first goal on um, on Tuesday night. You know, sorry, the goal on um, Saturday 
against Austria. You know, it's just fallen to her a few yards out, but but she's there, and, and that's what you want your striker to do. And I think she's got thirty goals now. I think it is this calendar year, which you know, I mean, if I you know, I'd be pretty happy with thirty goals. You know, I'd, I'd right. sit back and think I'd had a decent year, and you know, she's up there with with some of the best numbers in the world um, for goals scored this year, and, and given. Particularly, obviously, England at the start of the year weren't in great form. England, uh, sorry, Man City haven't been in great form since the summer. You know, she's had a good year and, you know, she had a great Olympics. Um, six goals, I think it was. She scored a hat-trick against Australia. So, she's always there. You know, she'll always score goals and and that's what you want your um, your strikers to do. So, what's probably scary is when you look at the fact that they she's probably got plenty more of these games to come in her career is just how many more is she going to get you know um i think she'll be i think she'll be long gone um in terms of goals by the end of her career depending on how long she plays for england but yeah great record to break you know kelly smith's obviously a legend but records are there to be broken and i'm sure one day we'll be sat here talking about somebody breaking ellen's record yeah, well, may well be. Next up for the Lionesses is this February tournament that you, you originally told us that Spain and Germany were going to be part of, and then they announced that Canada were going to be um, making up the, the fourth-place team. Uh, and it's a competition or a little tournament that's going to be spread around England, going to Middlesbrough, Norwich and Wolverhampton, Molyneux, Wolves. Obviously, these three teams are are much more capable than the likes of Latvia, North Macedonia and and the like. So this is where probably all this confidence that has come from these qualifiers now needs to be put into to real practice because obviously these these three games are going to be a totally different kettle of fish. Oh, yeah. And, and it's what they need because that's going to be much more representative of what they're going to have to face. You know, if they want to win the European Championships next year, Spain are rightly going to be one of the favourites, given their level of talent at the moment. Obviously, so many of their players coming out of that Barcelona team um, that have dominated 2021. Germany, maybe not quite at the level they used to be, but still an incredibly good team. They've got some very exciting young players that are coming through. And and then obviously Canada, they won't play at the Olympics, but uh, sorry, at the Euros, but still a very good test you know obviously the Olympic gold medalists so yeah it's much more what you need and, and obviously some good stadiums as well you know big stadiums around the country hopefully a good opportunity to get some good crowds and yeah we definitely won't be seeing any 20 nils um, which is good so no, I'm looking forward to it because you know maybe it's maybe I'm old and boring now I don't know but I don't look forward to these games against Latvia and, and Luxembourg because you just know what's going to happen so um, yeah, very much looking forward to those games. And, and yeah, in terms of the Euros, very, very much what England need right now. So on the whole, 2021 for the Lionesses, how would you look at it? Well, it's been, uh, yes, it, it started obviously not great. I mean, that there was sort of an 18-month hangover from the World Cup. Obviously, we had big changes. We've had three managers, you know, <laughs> Um Phil obviously um, and went and then obviously Hager came in and, and sort of stabilised things a little bit and then we morphed into Team GB over the summer obviously and it didn't go as we wanted, you know, obviously didn't quite hold on against Australia and missed out on getting to the semi-finals, which was I think disappointing for the level of talent that we had, but you know, it was a tough situation for a manager coming in. A very short notice, very few build-up games because of, of COVID earlier in the year as well. And going since, you know, I think in terms of managerial appointments, I don't think we could have done much better than getting Serena. Um, it, we've been had a great start, but, you know, you can't judge. You cannot judge yet. You know, Hagerisa would have won those games. Phil Neville would have won those games. Yeah. So it, it's now about, yeah, okay, they're friendlies, but they're going to be very representative friendlies in February and, and that will give us I think a lot more of an idea of where we are particularly Spain because I think they are going to be one of the benchmark teams next year so they've probably got to where they need to be probably not in the way they expected um, with Phil obviously going to into Miami like he did but I think they've got a very good coach now in place the players seem reasonably happy and and as well, they've got some key players to come back, you know, that maybe needed a bit of a rest, actually, and it might help them, you know, Lucy Bronze and 
Ellie Roebuck and Steph Horton. I mean, fingers crossed Chloe Kelly even can be back. Obviously, she did her ACL um, in May. You'd like to think she can be back, but, you know, we'll see what kind of form she's in. But, I mean, she was unbelievable for Man City before she got injured. So there's three, four, five players there, you know, that might come back fresh and, and sort of reinvigorated that will be very important for England next year. I've got no doubt. Yeah, I, I still think there's a bit of a way to go. I don't think England are one of, they're probably one of the favourites, but I wouldn't put them as the favourite for the tournament. It should be a great year ahead. I mean, you know, to host the Euros, I think we're all excited about it, you know, having games around, you know, Sheffield and Rotherham and Manchester. And I'm sure the Southern, you know, fans and journalists feel the same about games down there. So I think they're going in with a lot of promise and a lot of excitement, but we can't get to OTT because, like I said, these games are not anywhere near, apart from Austria, not anywhere near representative of what they're going to face next year. So good start for Serena. You know, she's done what she had to do. You can't criticise her for that. But um, yeah, I think uh, we'll have a better idea when we sit down in February and, and look at look back at that tournament and how that goes. Yeah, well, uh, let's we'll put a, a date in the diary to have a chat about that next year, next February. But um, just before we leave, you, uh, you're uh, working hard on something with The Guardian at the moment. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so doing the annual top 100 female footballers at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's done. We have the list now. Um, that was sorted at the weekend um, as much as we love to keep voting open for as long as we can because we always do lose some judges because particularly national team coaches. It's an incredibly busy time of the year and our deadline just happened to fall on an international break. Um, we had to cap it at some point because there's a lot of work to do now in this week um, in terms of the, getting the pictures together, the graphics, the profiles written for every single player and getting everything ready across, obviously, the Guardian website, also the Offside Rule website for next week. So we launch it tomorrow. Technically, we'll just put something out, you know, confirming that we're doing it. And then, yeah, next week it will be, it will come out on Tuesday through till Friday um, in its usual section. So first 30 on Tuesday, another 30 on Wednesday, another 30 on Thursday. And then the top 10 will come out on Friday morning. I think it's a good list. I think it's a very strong list. Again, I think it probably shows there's been a bit of a power balance this year. It's quite a different looking list to... Right how it has been. I think it reflects the fact, obviously, some teams this year, you know, ended the dominance of others. You know, Barcelona ended Lyon's dominance in Europe. PSG ended their dominance in France. Bayern Munich, you know, ended Wolfsburg's dominance in Germany. And even internationally, you look at the NWSL, you know, Washington Spirit winning their first championship, Canada winning a first Olympic gold. There was a lot of teams this year that, you know, sort of rose to the top. And I do think that is reflected somewhat um in the list so yeah you know hope people enjoy it as always it's it's a mega amount of work we try and and get it as right as possible but i don't have unfortunately that much influence over people you know i can't i've got 86 judges this year you know i can't tell them all who i want them to vote for you know we send them a, a list and it's it was quite an extensive list this year i mean last year was very very difficult because of covid there was so many players that just hadn't played a lot of football. Mm. Um, thankfully, this year, it kind of returned to normal a bit. And I think we nominated nearly 700 players this year. You know, we wanted to be quite lenient. And, you know, at the end of the day, it has to be down to the judges. You know, it shouldn't be down to me or or the few people who helped me put together the long list because, you know, I'm not an expert on every league in the world and, and I don't want to miss people if I can help it. So... You know, we sent a very long list to the judges this year and, and the process from there in was the same. They all picked their top 40 um, in order, send them back and it sort of just works on a point system, a bit like Eurovision really, um, depending on how. I, that, that's kind of, it, It's always what I, I compare it to because right. you have 86 people who vote completely independently and, you know, they all pick their 40 and, you know, whoever's first, they get 40 points, second gets 39 points, etc down to their 40th pick that gets one point. Um, but it's all completely individual and and completely anonymous as well. And right. some people always say like, oh, you know, you could do anything, you know, people, you know, you, we don't know who people are voting for. And I'm like, yeah, but it, then everyone laughs when the FIFA awards come out in January and you can look at who everyone's voted for and everyone's just voted for their mates and their yeah. teammates because they've got to, do you know what I mean? They get absolutely 
crucified, you know, if, if if it came out, you know, and a national team manager had not voted for one of their players or something, then, you know, you just have, you're going to have chaos. So, yeah. you know, we want people to vote fairly and, and not to feel, because we have a lot of current club managers, you know, we have a lot of current national team managers, you know, we've got Vlatko Andonovsky, we've got Jonas Eidval, you know, now at Arsenal, John Montemuro and Laura Harvey, etc. you know, and we don't want them, you know, if they want to vote for their own players, fine, and, and many do, but we don't want them to feel pressured into, you know, putting players in for the sake of it that maybe haven't had the greatest years. So, you know, I think most do vote very fairly. Obviously, I know who everyone's voted for, but nobody else does, and they don't know who each other's voted for. And it's a pretty open process from that point of view, but we do keep it anonymous for, you know, like I say, we want people to vote fairly and we want to get the most representative 100 that we can. It's never going to be perfect. It's a list. You know, it's so subjective and and that's what, you know, if we'd have had one more judge, the order would have changed, you know, in certain areas. We had one less, I think the last set of votes we got in, I think three players dropped out of the 103 went in, you Uh, know, because at the bottom end, I mean, I think like at the top end, there's usually like 100 or 200 points between each player in like the top 10. When you get down to the top, sorry, the bottom 50, there's probably a hundred points between about 30 players, you know? So if you get one or two big votes at the end, someone can jump up 20 positions. And if I'm being honest, it's, it all gets a bit erratic in the bottom half. Like I don't pay too much attention to the order. I think the bottom half for me is about who's in it. You know, that's generally where we get the players that maybe are in there for the first time. And, and that's why we do a top 100, you know, because that we give recognition to players that are not going to get, Ballon d'Or nominations, FIFA nominations, because whoever wins, like, and, and everyone's going to be interested in who wins yeah. our yeah. top 100, but you know the players that are going to be high up, you know, the the Alexias, the Miedemars, the Graham Hansons, the Kerrs, you know, the Harders, they're there every year, you know, but they don't need that recognition, you know, Alexia's just won the Ballon d'Or, you know, she's won the UEFA award, Miedemar, you know, gets recognition every day, Kerr gets recognition every day. So for us, it's about giving recognition to players that, you know, if you're in the top 100, it means you've had a good year at some point, you know, because there's so many good players around the world. And yeah, you know, whilst the order may be a bit all over the place, when you get down to the bottom half, that's what it's about for us because we're giving recognition to players that, that get it in the women's game, but maybe don't get it when it comes to, you know, the end of year awards. And, and that's really why why we do it. So, And there's a lot of them this year. There's a lot of new players in it. So, yeah, looking forward to it coming out. People will rip it apart. I've got no doubt, as usual. Um, I can't be hypocritical about that because I do the same with, with other lists. And it's all fun and games, you know. Yeah. We say it every year, you know, we love doing it and we take it very seriously. But it's a list at the end of the day, you know, no one's ever good. If you think the 42nd player is is wrong or the 56th player is wrong, you know, fine. I probably do as well. I never agree with with it. People think it's my list. It's not, you know, I, I just facilitate the project and, and I it's an honour to do it, you know, particularly with The Guardian now, but it is just a list. It's not the gospel. You know, I say that every year. It, it's incredibly subjective depending on the judges you have, who gets their votes back, who you lose who you get and yeah it, it, it's just a, a good thing for the women's game I think to have and we take it seriously like I said but it's not life or death you know it's just a list yeah no it's an interesting one as always and yeah I look forward to uh to going through it with a uh, a fine tooth comb <laughs> I'm sure you're not the only one <laughs> Rich thank you as always for for chatting and yeah let's let's put a date in to speak in February yeah no problem Now, back in May of this year, I spoke with Stuart Langworthy, manager of the over-60s England walking football team and also assistant manager of the over-40s women's team. It's my pleasure to welcome him back for a a bit of a catch-up. Stuart, hello there. Hi there. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, good, thank you. Good, thank you. It's uh, it's nice to be back busy and playing again, so a bit more to report this time, I hope. Yeah, good stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, let's just make sure. Are you still the uh, the manager of the over sixties men and the assistant to the over forties women? Yes, I am. Um, but I'm also now a director. 
Ah. So uh, I had a bit of a health scare uh, last year and it made me realize that uh, I was still teaching part time and I've been teaching for 39 years. I was I was desperate to get up to 40, but I looked at it and thought, you know what, it's just a number, isn't it? So uh, I've now retired right. and walking football is now an eight day a week voluntary job. <laughs> Harder than the teaching then, is it? not harder no. it's, it's it's something that i love but it's it's all consuming it's all day every day most weekends are, are away doing something but you know that's what i enjoy doing and i'm i've got a very supportive family so um yeah it's good oh excellent so as a director you say yeah there are there are five directors we're looking for more uh but currently there are five directors of the wfa and uh my responsibility is for grassroots and we've lot to tell you really about what we're doing with Parkinson's walking football and things like that. So there's there's lots going lots been going on. Well, I mean, you say Parkinson's. I mean, that's obviously in the news with the uh, the sad passing of Ray Kennedy as well. Yeah, and there's there's been a Ray Kennedy Cup uh, which has been going for years, which has been played for by uh, Parkinson's teams, and uh, very sad. I think he'd been suffering from Parkinson's for something like thirty six years, something like that. Yeah. So. Uh, the people that we've been working with have, have been sort of commenting on that all day and uh, sad loss, very sad loss, but uh, hopefully it'll always be remembered through the the Ray Kennedy Cup that takes place each year. Oh, good stuff. I uh, wish you all the uh, all the very best with that. But yeah, I mean, I've, since May, six months in that time, what, what else has been going on? Well, I suppose we might as well start with the Parkinson's, really. we uh, the, the, the Walking Football Association are now going into partnership with sport parkinson's hmm. because we've we've seen how powerful the sport can be at uh, helping people with long long term health conditions such as parkinson's uh, we now have three centers that we know about uh, in england it's one in watford one in birmingham and one in liverpool that have just uh, walking football sessions just for people with parkinson's and today i've been talking to someone in mansfield um, up in the northeast and one in Worcester and it, it's growing very very quickly the idea because walking football is such a safe game and it it seems to help uh, bring these people to life you know they, they they might struggle with their walking because of Parkinson's but you put a ball in front of some of them and it it, it has a dramatic impact on some people and they just feel in the words of Paul Nichols, who uh, is work I'm working closely with, who was part of the We Are Undefeatable group that I was in, it helps him to feel normal for an hour a week. And, um, you know, it, it's fascinating to see how powerful a football can be to these people. So, yeah, we're working with Sport Parkinson's and the plan is that by July we'll have the first National Cup for walking football teams just for players with Parkinson's and it will be the Sport Parkinson Cup. Oh. So something to really look forward to. Absolutely, yeah. Well, once that's up and running, then yeah, we, we'll have to talk again about that one. See how that's panning out. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating and it's exciting and it's just great for these people because it really does does help them to get up and get out and get mobile again. So it's brilliant. And you, you. the the women, I think you've been busy with. Yes, the women, all three women's teams went to Guernsey. We took five teams to Guernsey. That was quite a, a mammoth trip to organise. We went there in August and we came away with a, a clean sweep, but some fantastically competitive games and some superb hospitality from the people out in Guernsey. Uh, the over 60s, the recently formed over 60s women played their first game over there and they won 2-1, I think. And the over 40s women played against the Guernsey over 60s men and they won 1-0. And right. the over 50s won 2-0 uh, against the Guernseys, the, the younger female Guernsey team. They won 2-0. So uh, really good. And we took the over 50s men out there as well and the over 65 men. So uh, a fantastic experience for everyone. Um, as, I, as I say, great hospitality and a, a brilliant and memorable weekend for everyone who went out there. And, and thanks to Guernsey for hosting us and providing us with a a great opportunity and uh, the timing of it august it was just what everyone needed post post covid and uh it was just a superb experience absolutely i mean was that just against teams from guernsey or were there other nations there no just just against guernsey and what we did obviously they've got a much smaller pool mm. of players than we have 
So we challenged each of our teams. So our over 50s played against a much younger team. Our over 50s men played against a younger team. Well, all of our teams basically played against challenging opposition. As I say, our, our over 40s women played against the over 60s men. And that was a real tough test for them. They, they came out of it with flying colours. They did superbly well. And do do Guernsey have a, uh, well, you say it's a, a smaller pool of players, but was it an opportunity to sort of build relations with Guernsey? Yeah, we've we've been over there a few times. We uh, I did a coaching course over there a couple of years ago, and then we took our over seventies men and a, a mixed women's team over there in October twenty nineteen to play the first ever women's game and over seventies games. Um, they're looking to to enter a team into the World Cup uh, next year. So, yeah, we've got a really good relationship with Guernsey. They're looking to bring over a couple of teams to play against some Southwest teams in March as part of their preparation for the World Cup. So uh, they've got a fantastic setup over there. And the committee, and at, at the helm of it, Paul Wheatley is a fantastic guy who will be 75 next year. And um, he actually plays... He plays for the England over 70s team and his wife plays for the England over 50s team at the moment. But they obviously live over in Guernsey at the moment. So that's quite an interesting one to, wow, to yeah. get your head around. Yeah, they'll be, they'll be representing Guernsey in, uh, or Paul. Uh, they, they hope to represent Guernsey if the World Cup comes to their age groups. So, yeah, it's good. Or well, I mean, I'm just trying to cast my mind back to when we, when we spoke in May. I can't remember whether we spoke about the World Cup, but maybe in, enlighten me again about about the walking World Cup. Well, we were planning on running it uh, last year and this year, uh, but obviously COVID had something to say about that. So the World Nations Cup, the plan is that it will take place in 2022 in Manchester. Right. Uh, those plans are already in some doubt because of COVID again. And this, this most recent episode has made everyone think again about travel. But also the women's Euros are taking place next summer and the Etihad complex is being used as part of that. So we were hoping it would be in May. Maybe it will be in July, which might give us a few more months to make sure everything's safe for people to to travel and to take part or maybe we need a different venue but um we're certainly planning on having a world nations cup for the over 50s and over 60s next year it's been postponed twice we we desperately want to get it up and running so is this something that you as a director of the the wfa and and your colleagues are trying to organize and inviting teams over or yeah yeah the first year we we were going to run it we were confident that we would get eight to ten teams at each age group Last year, we were confident that we would have had 16 teams at each age group. It's so, such is the, the nature of walking football. It's growing so rapidly. We're confident that there are enough teams out there to come and make it a really, really good competition. And yeah, as you know, we're all volunteers. So this is something that we, we will be running around and organising next year. Um, we did have great support, and I'm sure we will still have great support from Manchester as a city. We had uh, Andy Burnham on board there and all the tourist organizations and uh, the local FA in Manchester were also very supportive. So we have lots of great support. So we are really hopeful that we'll get it up and running again in, uh, in 2022. So it's something to really look forward to. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, as you say, the, the support is there and the, the interest from other opponents is there. It's just, yeah, making sure that everything is safe for everyone to, to participate in. Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, we we've had to take the difficult decision to postpone it twice, but those are the right decisions. You know, you can't you can't put people at risk. You know, the trip to to Guernsey was very complicated in terms of forms that you had to fill out and, and things like that. We, we we've also recently come back from uh, Spain. We took teams over to the Basque Country, and again, you know, the paperwork for that was difficult, but people were more than willing to do it. Uh, so that was a, another great experience. How did that results-wise go in Spain there? Very good, very positive. The, the Basque region is a very, very proud region of Spain. Some of the players took great delight in telling us that they were, in their younger days, they were hoping to get a call up from Spain in order to reject it and say that they were going to play for the Basque country. Ah. Um, 
they are they are that passionate about their independent region yeah um, and we we help their dreams to come true so they they put on the Basque country shirt and they they played against England and there's lots of history there because um it was in English football that that helped bring football into that region uh, from the ship workers from Southampton and the reason why they play in uh, red and white stripes is because the uh, founder went over to England to buy some shirts they originally wore Blackburn Rover shirts he went over to England to buy some shirts and saw the Southampton shirts and liked them even more. So he bought Southampton shirts and took them back over. Oh, there and you that's go. That's why Athletic Club Bilbao play in red and white stripes. Oh, there you go. I've learned something there. I didn't know that. Yeah. We we won both games quite quite comfortably, but then they've they've been playing for a year or so, and we've been playing for four or five years. So. You know, they they were expecting a tough game and they got a tough game. But again, the hospitality was second to none. It was brilliant. We we, we helped to make their dreams come true and they they were just so grateful. And uh, we had a guided tour of the stadium. It was just a fantastic experience for all players concerned. The whole trip was a, a massive success. And there's, there's lots of stuff on Twitter that uh, people can go and, and see about the trip as well. It was just fantastic. Well, I mean, let's just uh, let's go down the sort of the social media side of things. Where where can we find you on on Twitter? So uh, our our Twitter account is at the WFA UK. Uh, we're also on Facebook for people who want to uh, look us up on Facebook, the Walking Football Association, and we're also on Instagram. Now, I'm not very good on Instagram, so I wouldn't even know where to. Where to <laughs> I imagine if you just put in Walking Football, Walking England. Football Association, you'd yeah. find us. Yeah, and yeah. and it's also the the website, which is the wfa.co.uk, isn't it? Yeah, that's a, a very good website. There's a Find a Club feature on there for people who are new to the sport who want to find it. There's there's also the fantastic guide to walking football that's on there as well which is a free downloadable booklet, which we did in partnership with Pure Retirement. They, they funded that. So, yeah, there's lots of good stuff on there. Uh, I, I'd, I'd like to also mention Pharmacy to You, whilst we're on here, mm. who have been a very supportive sponsor. They've supported the National Cup. So since we last spoke, we've had uh, the National Cup finals at over 50s and over 60s and over 70s men and over 65s actually and a couple of weeks ago we held the first ever women's national cup at over 40s and over 50s and farm ctu have sponsored that for us so fantastic turnout with over 300 teams taking part across the country um, and just a great experience for all those involved Absolutely great, superb, and, and well done. I guess the more the more sponsorship and that uh, get involved is is going to benefit the the game going forward. Yeah, absolutely. We we as we've said before, the players who go on these international trips uh, are all self funded. What we've tried to do is we try to provide them with kits to make sure that they all look professional when they travel. So with the money from Pure Retirement, we've we've kitted out all of our England teams. But I mean, that, that's just the, the tip of the iceberg. You know, we're doing an awful lot of work with grassroots because the grassroots is really, really important. And, you know, the Walking Football Association is constantly looking at the laws of the game and listening to clubs and what clubs want in terms of the laws of the game uh, and supporting cup competitions and leagues and things like that at, at uh, grassroots level and, and training referees, which is such an important thing. The problem with the game is that if you go to most club sessions, it's not refereed. So what happens is the game tends to be a lot faster and maybe more physical than it should be. Right. And then when cl- when clubs do go to a, a WFA organised competition, because they've got referees, they sometimes there's frustration about how strict the rules are interpreted. And, uh, you know, the more we can get referees out into club sessions, the more players will understand how important those rules are in terms of, you know, the definition of the game is it's walking, it's walking football, it's non-contact and it's a safe sport and it's an inclusive sport. So, um, you know, the more we can get referees out there, the better. Absolutely. I f- nearly forgot to mention, we were nominated for uh, the Sports Business Awards uh-huh. in the Sporting Diversity section. And we we got to the final, which for us was a huge uh, achievement 
in the final, we were up against BT, which is in their partnership with the FA. We were up against Everton Football Club, England Hockey, the Lawn Tennis Association, and the International Table Tennis Association. Now, I mean, they are big organisations with a, with a bigger budget than we've got because our budget is zero, basically, and also with people paid to achieve diversity and inclusion. And we came third. We won bronze, which was just the most fantastic achievement for a, a group of 100 volunteers who run the WFA. It was a huge achievement. Um, and our nomination concentrated on the diversity that we're doing with people with impairments, such as Parkinson's, and developing the women's game, but also developing the game internationally as well. So uh, it was a three-pronged nomination. And, yeah, we're, we're thrilled that we, we got in the top three. Absolutely thrilled. It's a huge achievement. Yeah, congratulations. And and from that is obviously recognition and and just general promotion of, of the game and awareness. So it, it can only only get bigger and better. Yeah, as I said to you, you know, when we first chatted, if if as a result of listening to this, if three or four people think, well, I'll give walking football a try then, from from our point of view, that, that's what we want to achieve. We're we're trying to raise the profile of the game, we're trying to get more people to take the game seriously. Yes, we want to attract sponsorship for the for players at all levels, but the most important thing is to spread spread the word of the game and get more people active. And you know, even if they've got uh, long term health conditions that they're living with, we just want to get people up off the couch and out and get them active and having fun, because the health and well being benefits of this sport are just fantastic. Yeah, especially at the moment. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree Absolutely. more. Stuart, once again, thank you very much for uh, for coming on and, and giving us a uh, an update as to to how things are going. It's always great to hear from you. And I say, let, next year when the uh, when the Parkinson's Cup is you, you're aware of how that's going, then yeah, let's let's touch base again. Yeah, lovely. Thank you, and thanks for again for helping to promote sport. You know, we've we've got matches coming up in hopefully in France and Poland, and Gibraltar want to come over and play against us. So there's lots lots happening, and then of course. World Nations Cup in May, June or July, whenever. Fingers crossed. So yeah. lots lots to look forward to, COVID permitting, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I wish you all the very best of it. Stuart, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much to Stuart there for his time. Now you may remember that first episode where I spoke with him. Well, that can still be listened to if you missed it or if you want to recap on it. It's episode 148. Just type in Walking Football, Three Lions podcast. It should come up that way. Uh, and if Walking Football sounds up your street, go give the WFA a look. The website is thewfa.co.uk. Now, as we mentioned with Stuart there, on the 30th of November came the sad news that former Three Lion Ray Kennedy had passed away at the age of 70. Ray was a legend at both Arsenal and Liverpool. Born in 1951 in Northumberland, he won the double with Arsenal in 1971, famously scoring the goal that beat Tottenham at White Hart Lane. That was before he then transferred to Liverpool for £200,000 in 1974. He would go on to be part of the dominant Liverpool team of that era, winning, amongst others, three European Cups and five league titles. Now, he won his first England cap under Don Revy when he was picked to play away to Wales in 1976 in a friendly he would go on to score the opening goal in that in a 2-1 victory. And he would go on to play 17 times for England, scoring a total of three goals. There was the one against Wales and two coming later against Luxembourg. And he's got past Marg. And the long cross comes in towards McShannon. And for Kennedy, goal! 3-0! to the second half and a few smiles now about England unfortunately though for him he didn't seem to get on with then England manager Ron Greenwood 
and he would retire from the national team in March 1981. Sadly, in later life, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in 1984. He did become involved in the Parkinson's Disease Society and gave his image to help promote the awareness of the disease. A disease he would live with for 37 years. And we send our condolences to his family and his friends. Thank you very much for tuning in. As always, it is more than appreciated. Now, we have the Nations League draw coming up. That is on the 16th of December. I'll be putting together an episode for that. Also, I'm hoping to put together an end-of-year episode, of which you are more than welcome to contribute to. What has been your England moment of 2021? Why not open up your phone, open up the recorder talk to me. Tell me what your moment of 2021 was. Email it to me, threelionspodcast at gmail.com. And there are certainly plenty of those moments to choose from. So until then, look after yourselves, stay safe, speak to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.